Sunday. You know what was shocking to me? That is the most watched television show out now. It's, it has more viewers that watch it weekly than any other show. I was I was blown away by that. I, I was that's pretty good. So yeah, he said he he said he loves that. Good. He's in France right now, isn't he? Is he, he make it back today or not? Do you know tomorrow? Ah, uh-huh. got to hear from him. All right, Acts chapter twenty. We're going to go back. I'm going to read all the verses that we did uh, in during our reading time this evening. We're going to get to Acts twenty and look in verses uh, seventeen through nineteen. And I want to bring a thought this evening. This is actually a message that uh, the Lord had given me. I preached around the idea quite a few times just uh, in thoughts and whatnot. And uh, for some reason, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 11 tonight. And uh, for whatever particular reason, or 2 Corinthians 11, uh, I've been in there for the past few weeks. Uh, I preached a few times while uh, we were off. And um, this sermon here is actually one of them that I was working on for here. And um, actually... um, Ended up preaching it uh, last week as well, and last Sunday at another place. So, uh, so anyway, uh, be in prayer tonight for this message, if you will. I hope and pray that it, it provokes you, in all fairness. So Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 19, and again the Bible says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We ask you to bless the sermon here tonight. Bless our time together. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen and amen. By the time we get into Acts chapter 20 in the life of Paul, uh, Paul's, uh, Paul has finished his, <coughs> his second missionary journey, and he's getting ready to go into Jerusalem. And, uh, of course, we're going to see the multitude of things that had happened to Paul, most of which was negative. And uh, I preached a message here a couple of weeks back about um, about you know about things all good things in Romans chapter eight uh, all good things work together to them that love God to them or the called according to His purpose but it never says and people misconstrue that voice that verse uh, it never says that all things that are going to happen to you are going to be good and it doesn't even say that it's going to work out for good for you. It just says it's going to work for the good. Do you understand? Sometimes the bad things that happen in our life, for a particular reason, it's not for our good, but it's for the good of someone else. Someone else is going to learn from it. It's going to help someone else. So the troubles and the, the struggles and the, and the things that we run into become a testimony to other people. And we need to look at those things and consider those things. So I'm going to ask you one thing this evening, just in the onset, as the title of the message, what moves you? What moves you in your life? What shakes your very foundation in the world that you live in today? I mean, if you had to pick up one, two, three things, if you will, what would shake your foundation to the very core? I mean, what keeps you up at night? What allows you? What robs you of your sleep? Is it your finances, your family, your, your friends, your foes, whatever it may be? What moves you, guys? Or what should I say this? What moves you away from the central thoughts of forward progress? One of the things that our society, and and has for a long period of time, suffered from is the fear of change. The fear of change. It's one of the biggest fears holding people back. And whether it's changing of making big decisions in one's life or choosing to remain steadfast in the life uh, uh, that they're in, the fear of change is common in human development. Uh, The actual diagnosis is called metathesophobia. And it's absolute the fear of change. And some are very small, the change of moving house, of moving this, of moving that, moving jobs, uh, moving bank accounts, all these things. But since the days of old, mankind 
has been attached to a routine. I like a routine personally. I don't have a massive fear of change. I, I, I like when we have change at certain times, but I love a routine. I love a tick list, man. I, I mean, my, my whole week is just based on a tick list, and, and I enjoy that. And I understand the fire of the dopamine, and you know that you get, you feel it's, it's you know, it's, it's wonderful. We tick the box, and that sounds childish. I realize it, but that is us. That's human nature. But our internal predispositions teach us to resist change, mainly because we simply want to feel like we are in control. So I ask you this, does the fear of change move you? Or what is in your future? Does it move you? Guys, here's what we do need to understand. The Bible has always given us the beginning and ending of the world, of everything, of human life, of what lies beyond what we see not here today. Now, we don't have an actual date. No one knows. And again, I'm going to say this. No one knows uh, uh, when the return of the Lord is going to be. No one knows the second coming. No one knows when the millennial is here. No one knows any time at all. We just know that the Bible says it's going to happen. Now, when the, if you see someone that, uh, and I'll say this boldly, I would say it if, even if they were here, uh, if you see someone that starts naming dates, run. Get away from them. Tell them to put the, the, the dry erase marker down, step away from the whiteboard. They don't know. Nobody knows dates of anything whatsoever. And the Bible's been clear about it. Why do you think that's so? By nature, most human beings are what? Starts with a P word, procrastinators. No, we put it off. I'll get that done tomorrow. I'm going to get it done. And nine times out of ten, we hit our deadlines. Nine times out of ten, we are very good with hitting our deadlines. But a lot of time, I know tax time comes around, and I say it every year, man, I'm going to get my taxes done straight away, first month, out of the gate. They're going to be, you know what I do our taxes? The day they're due. Yeah. I sit down and I work and I work and I work and I work. And I have to do three different types of taxes, okay? Both for this country, that country, and then for the charity as well. And I still wait to the last day. Thankfully, they're not due on the same day, okay? That's, that's good. I'm not a procrastinator by nature, but when it comes to taxes, and I guess letting loose some more money, I try to hold on to it as long as I can. No, but we do have a little, I say, predisposition again to just kind of put things off. We, we know what is going to happen in our own lives many a times. We know what's going to happen um, typically, at least we think we do. But there is a, there is a fear that goes on in our life of sudden and certain changes. Guys, there are loads of things going on in the world today. And I am, I'll be honest with you, I am not a big news watcher. Um, I, I'm not a big scroller. I'm not the guy I get looking up all the news sites and trying to find out what's going on because I don't believe any of them, if you want to know the truth. I just I don't. Uh, I, I, I probably should keep in touch a little bit more. I catch the headlines. I see this going on and that going on. But you will worry yourself to the absolute frazzle. If you just kept up 100% with everything that's trying to go on in the world. You know, the Athenians were given over to that. Acts chapter 17 tells us the Athenians were given over to hearing and telling something new. And that's the news. It's a multi-billion pound industry today just telling something new. Whether it's right or wrong, just they want to be the first to get it out today. Do you understand? So guys, there's a load of bad things going on in the world. There's a load of good things going on in the world today. But overall, we understand what's going to happen as time moves on. Why? Because the Bible has told us that. But are you moved by what you see on the telly, what you read on the papers, what you see on the social media? I mean, are you running around fearful today or, uh, you know, and moved in your, your position, your stance, your comfort, your peace, just because of what you see going on in the world? So I'm going to ask you again. I'm going to pound this question into your head this evening. What moves you? Because you have to answer that question. 
You have to answer that question. And when you sit here and say, well, nothing moves me, if nothing moves you because your head is stuck in the sand and you just don't want to hear see anything that's going on, that doesn't mean, that means you're being deceived. So what moves you in your life? So I want to ask you, uh, in the life of the Apostle Paul, are you moved this evening by heartaches? By heartaches. It's part of life, isn't it? It's part of life. I mean, we hate to say it, if you're a parent in here tonight, there's going to be heartaches. Now, there's going to be more joy and happiness and, and, and exhilaration, but you're going to have heartaches when you see your children hurt. You're going to have those things. Paul says, and we see here in Acts chapter 8, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verses 18, in the first part of 19, he says, And when they were uh, come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Then he ends it, he ends this statement saying, and with many tears. The Apostle Paul had a load of heartaches in his ministry. A load of heartaches in his ministry. Paul served the Lord pursuing the fulfillment of God's call upon his life. And he did it with heartaches. He testifies in Philippians chapter 3 when he writes back to that church that he suffered the loss of all things. Now all means all, and that's all all means. That's what it means in the Greek. That's what it means in Hebrew. That's what it means in the Aramaic. And what it means in every language there is, all means all. He suffered the loss of all things. I mean, Paul, had a, his life was a restart. He had a, He had... All of the things that this life had to offer, but when he got saved and he came under the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he lost it all. And he stated what was gained to me was lost for Christ. Beloved, his heart was set for all of Israel to be saved. His own flesh and blood. He says in Romans in chapter 10, in verse 1, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So when we look at the heartache that Paul suffered, we're going to bounce around. You can read from the screen. We'll get into 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we see the first thing that what Paul lost. Paul lost his position. Now just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying all this tonight. Um, you need to understand who Paul was. Before Paul was a Christian, he was a Pharisee. He was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was the man. He was basically the valedictorian of the school of Gamaliel. He was the elite of all the elite. He was the head. At 30 years of age, he was the head of the Cilician uh, Synagogue. Paul was the absolute man, if you will. You look at Paul and he's like, he's got it all. But when he got saved, he lost his position. He lost his position. We find there it says, of the Jews, five times received by 40 uh, stripes, save one. That's 195 stripes that he received just because he cared for the souls to be saved and born again. Just because he was obeying God's call in his life to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. He was beaten. Now you say, why 39 stripes times five? Well, because 40 was a conviction. You had to be convicted of a crime in order to be judged. Cause jud uh, judgment or trials is the number of 40. Israel was in the wilderness 40 years. Moses was on the mountain 40 days. You see, there's 40. That's what the number 40 is. It's the number of trials or the number of judgment. Paul did not, he wasn't guilty of anything against breaking the law. He was actually fulfilling the law. But because they hated his position so much, they beat him five times, 39 stripes each time. So he lost his position of who he was. He, he lost his prestige. He says, in perils of my own countrymen. Now, when we say our, our own country, and that's not just speaking of Israel, those of Tarsus, specifically of Cilicia, Cilicia was a Roman province in Paul's day, it's located in uh, uh, southern Turkey today, but this wasn't just the Jews that were attacking him, his own people, but his own countrymen, meaning it was the Benjaminites, he was of the tribe of Benjamin, it was the Cilicians, if you will, his own people. Paul spent ten years in Tarsus, learning how to suffer loss before he ever entered the mission field in Acts 13. Paul was saved and knew his ministry 
for 14 years before he ever set foot on the first mission journey. And he was learning and being prepared, but he lost his prestige. Guys, here's something that's probably pretty personal to us all. Paul lost his parents. He lost his parents. And why do you think? Because he got saved. Because he started serving Jesus Christ fully and faithfully. You know, there's only two verses that references Paul's parents in the Word of God. Paul mentions uh, his father uh, once in his testimony before the Sanhedrin, the same council that he was part of that convicted Stephen and killed them. In Acts 23.6, saying, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. That's the only thing, the only time he ever mentions his dad. In 14 letters that he writes, inspired by God, he says, I'm the son of a Pharisee. He mentions his mother one time in Galatians in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, this is not a physical separation that he's speaking of here, but rather the connection to that which was his past, his, his hereditary, all of this and that. It was that, that God was moving him from there to preach the grace of the gospel of God. But I'm going to ask you a question here. Can we see this only two verses? You think, well, did he not love them? Of course he loved them. I mean, Paul was an absolute expert on the law. And the Bible says, honor thy mother and father, that their days may be long upon this earth. So yeah, he loved them. Did he want to see them saved? Absolutely. He wanted to see all of Israel saved. But don't you think that it broke his heart that his parents had had nothing to do with him anymore just because of, of his position? Sure it did. I mean, I, I know it all my heart that, that Paul wanted them to be saved and born again. Why? Well, I can read it in the scripture there no, for, for certain. It says, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, what Paul is saying is something that I've, I don't know anyone in their right mind would ever say. I would give up my salvation and be damned, if you will, for all of my, my kinsmen to be saved. I would say that's heartache. So I ask you this question, would that move you? Would heartaches move you away from the truth? Would heartaches move you away from serving? Hey, would you be moved away from God's call in your life? Guys, do you think it's easy to serve the Lord on a foreign field thousands upon thousands of miles away from your family? I can tell you it's not easy. I can tell you it's not easy to uproot your family from everything, that they, the only thing they've ever known and set sail across, literally set sail on a boat across the, the Atlantic and come to a, a different nation. I mean, would the distance move you? Would the distraction move you? Would the division maybe move you? Would it move you in your life? That's, you have to ask yourself this question because otherwise there's going to be something in your life that you're going to hold to, that you're going to, going to connect to, that you're going to say, I'll go this far, but I'm not going to go that far for you, Lord. And you say, well, hang on. How far did he go first? Well, he gave his life for us. Jesus Christ stepped down off of, off the eternity, took off the robes of the eternal glory and royalty, and put on the robes of flesh of mankind, lived for 33 and a half years, and died the most despicable death a person could ever die just for one reason, because he loved his creation. But his creation is going to go through heartaches. So I ask you first, are you going to be moved by heartaches in this life? So I ask you secondly, if you will, um, are you going to be moved by hardships. Look at verse 19 from the screen, if you will, with me this evening. He says, With many tears and temptations which befell me by the lion in wait of the Jews. We've seen hardships that Paul suffered. Paul lists them in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and which doesn't even include the last decade of his life. When Paul writes the second letter to Corinth, 
It doesn't include the, the, the last 10 years incarcerated. It doesn't include him being chained for 10 years to a Roman soldier, working 12-hour shift, just changing the soldier out every, every minute, every second of the day. It doesn't include the final shipwreck with 276 people who, had, who landed on the Isle of the Moth. It doesn't include any of that, and yet he lists all these things. Second Corinthians chapter 11 we find here, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. Verse 23, he says, In labors more abundant, in stripes often, I mean, sorry, stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. One, one thing that, that many people, uh, they miss about Paul, and they miss about his life, uh, was that he was stoned to death one time in Lystra. And the Bible says they dragged him out as being dead, but he was dead because we know this because he lists this in, in, uh, when he mentions in, in 1 Corinthians about being caught up into the third heaven and, and seeing things it was unlawful for him to repeat. And verse 24 says of the Jews, we've already talked about this, five times received by 40 stripes, save one. In verse 25, Paul says, uh, Thrice I was beaten with a rod. This doesn't include the stripes. This is a completely different beating with the rods. He says, once I was stoned, I've already mentioned that there, uh, when he was in Lystra, where he was stoned to death and visited the third heaven, where it was unlawful for him to mention anything that he saw. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. We know there's another shipwreck in his life later on. He says, a night and a day I have been in the deep. And, and, uh, he says in verse 20, 26, he says, uh, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of water, I'm sorry, of robbers. I mentioned this this morning, and I was finishing up a series called The Regions Beyond, and I brought these, uh, these robbers up. Um, in, in Antioch of Pisidia, uh, where Paul went during this first journey, uh, after they left the Isles of, of Cyprus there, John Mark departs, and uh, they, go, they wanted to go into minor, Asia Minor, and they end up going to a place called Antioch, which is located, this, this is a different Antioch than the one in Syria, this is in Pisidia. Well, to get there, guys, you have to cut across 11 rivers, many of which would not have a bridge to cross. The mountainous terrain, as a matter of fact, Alexander the Great was fearful of the Pisidian Highlanders, these robbers, more than any other army he ever faced. The Roman legion built Antioch of Pisidia, built that whole city there to protect the people from these Highlanders. They were vicious, vicious, vicious robbers. And Paul said, in order to get the gospel to the regions beyond, I'm willing to go through the hardships. And he listed here saying, in perils of robbers. It didn't matter to him. In perils of his own countrymen, of my own countrymen, that's Cilicia, which is within Tarsus. In perils of the heathen. Now, when he's referring to Ephesus and Galatia, they're also known as the barbarians of, the, of these highlands. We also know of a group of men that he said he owed a debt to called the Scythians. The Scythians were the greatest warriors to ever live in the face of the planet. As a matter of fact, they were the great Spartan warrior that there was a certain book, and I believe a movie made out of, about called 300. I don't know if anybody saw that, but it was a, quite a vicious film. That's based on the Scythian warriors that Alexander the Great had. And Alexander the Great was so fearful of them, he said they're going to complete this one last battle. And we remember the battle in history. It's when he defeated Darius II, Darius II, uh, the Mede, the Medo-Persian, uh, from the Medo-Persian Empire. When the Grecian Empire destroyed them, you had Darius II, Darius III, and they were going to try to come and take over Greece again. And he, this 300 men defeated them. Their history are known as the Scythians. Well, they caught wind that Alexander wanted them destroyed. And Alexander wasn't completely convinced that his arrest of his entire army is going to be able to do it. But rather than face this, what they ended up doing is they crossed and they fled. These Scythians did. Crossed over the Black Sea and they began to occupy and populate what we know today as Russia. What we know today is, is that that's what populated the Russian land. Marvelous warriors. 
tactical beyond anyone else. And Paul's speaking to them when he says, in perils by the heathen. Paul says in another, another epistle that he owed a debt to the barbarians, which we know is the dramatic tribes, and the Scythians. The Scythians, guys, would be considered the worst people on the planet. And Paul said they still deserve the gospel. The Scythians would do things to you uh, bodily that you can't even probably come up with, that Hollywood can't even compete with. And Paul said, you know what? They still need the gospel. Hardships. Hardships wasn't moved. didn't move him. In perils of the cities uh, here, multiple cities. In perils of the wilderness, the valley of the shadow of darkness that David mentions there in Psalm 23. In perils in the sea, he talks about shipwrecks and storms and all of this. And then in perils of false brethren. Within the churches, false brethren. He mentions them directly when he writes to the church of Galatia. Uh, the churches of Galatia, I mean. Uh, in Galatians 2.4, he says, And that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. He says in verse 27, In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He's summing up the years of hardships. And yet he's continuing on. Paul says in verse 28, probably the most moving verse, I think, of the whole list, beside those things which are without, he says, that which come upon me daily, he said, the care of all the churches. Above all of these things, the love and the responsibility Paul had for all the churches that not only he planted, but was responsible for sending men out to plant, it weighed on his heart every single day. So hardships, heartaches, do they move you? Does the struggle move you? Does the strain move you? Does the stress move you? I mean, guys, again, do you think it's easy? It was easy for Paul to serve the Lord in areas where they didn't even want him there? They didn't even want to hear the gospel? I mean, do you understand that, that these people, we talked about the fear of change. Does the fear of change, is that, does that, that diagnosis, if you will, does it move you? That, Ask yourself that. We talked about metathesophobia. Yes. But what about the fear of the unknown? See, we just went over all the hardships and heartaches that Paul already suffered, that he already dealt with. What about xenophobia, the fear of unknown? The psychological term broadly applies to just the sense of unknown. I remember I preached a message on the fear one time. And uh, you, you deal with people who have a fear of the dark. And technically, you don't have a fear of the dark. can't do anything to you. You're afraid of what's in the dark that you can't see. That's what it is. And you shouldn't be, unless it's spiders. You should always be afraid of spiders. You know, they're, they're terrible little things. But anyway, <laughs> in fulfilling the ministry of the gospel, the grace of God, there's going to be hardships. There's going to be heartaches. There's also going to be things that are hidden. There's going to be things that you're not going to know about. And you've got to ask yourself whether or not these things are going to move you in your life. In verse 22 of our text in Acts chapter 20, the Bible says, And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, saying that the Holy Ghost witnesses through every, in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Fear of the unknown is the leading issue among people's fear today in their life. Their movement unsettled this life. They're wasting and burning energy. Uh, so much energy because of fears of what may happen. And nine times out of ten, none of it ever happens. But anything can happen at any time, can it? We don't know what the next turn is. I don't know what's going what's to happen in the shadows of this world today. What I do know, as David said in Psalm 23, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
That I do know. And there's very little things in this world today that I'm afraid of simply because of that right there. You're not going to threaten me with eternity to take my life. Okay? You're not going to do that because I know where I'm going. I'm comfortable with that. I'm fine with that. I get on a plane. I'm never afraid on a plane. I don't like waiting all that time. I don't like sitting up at 90 degrees for an hour and a half. But you know what? I'm not afraid. There's very little things that's going to cause me to be fearful. i got a fear of God. But no matter what shadows befalls me, no matter what turns out there today, I know that my God, I know that my Savior is with me. So what does Paul say about these things? What about these hidden things? These things that you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know where they are, you don't know how they're going to happen. What does he say? Verse 24, he says, None of these things move me. None of these things move me. That word move in verse 24, guys, that's a present tense term. A present tense term. He's not saying none of these things moved me, speaking of the things that he's already suffered. He's talking about the things that may happen. You see, Paul knows he's appointed to heartaches. Paul knew he was appointed to hardships. Paul knew that hidden things lie before him in his life. And he says, you know what? None of these things move me in my life. But how many of us have lost the plot in our life just because of what may happen? There's a determination behind this unmovable man of God that we can learn from. Verse 24, he says, Neither count I my life dear unto myself. He doesn't look at his life as being more important than anybody else's. As a matter of fact, he looks at his life as being less important than the human soul, which is in reality the way we should look at it. I would, he said, I would gladly uh, spent and be spent, or spend and be spent, that I might win the more. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians 6, 17, Paul says, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had been through it. He was determined to get the gospel where it needed to go, and he wasn't going to be moved by it. And I ask you tonight, what moves you? The driving force behind Paul, we find not counting his life dear. Uh, he simply says, so that I might finish my course. Paul had a course to finish, of which we know that he did, according to 2 Timothy 4, uh, verse 7, saying, I have fought a good fight. This is the last letter he wrote. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. His course was to take the gospel to the regions beyond. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians ten sixteen to preach the gospel to the regions beyond you. His course was to preach the gospel to those that were in darkness. Acts 26, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, then they receive forgiveness of sins, the inheritance among them, which are sanctified faith that is in me. He goes on to say about this driving force. He says, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's ministry was received of the Lord. And it was to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And guys, can I say this to you here tonight? Us here in Wells tonight, we have the gospel here because of the work of the Apostle Paul, because he took it to the regions beyond, because he wasn't moved by any of these things. That's why you and I have the opportunity. You say, why? Well, Baptists date back to 63 A.D. in Wells. All right? Long before the Catholic Church was ever, ever started in the 4th century by Constantine. Long before uh, the, the Church of England was ever started okay, in the 16th century. And long before any of these things were around. The Baptists came right here. What doctrine did they bring in AD 63? The very thing that Paul and Barnabas taught in Acts chapter 11. Paul died in AD 68. Paul was still living when men and women were coming into this aisle right here through those Roman roads that were cut and preaching the very gospel that he was preaching elsewhere. And you know why? Because none of these things moved him. 
He took 2 Corinthians 4.6 to heart when he wrote, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I, what do you think this evening would have happened if Paul would have been moved, if he would have forsaken the ministry? Well, it's the same thing that happens to us today when we forsake and when we're moved. When we don't fulfill the ministry that we've received to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Guys, with Paul, had he forsaken his calling, millions upon millions upon millions of people would have never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every day when we forsake testifying that gospel, people perish without the knowledge of the gospel of the grace of God. Every day, 155,000 people leave this life and enter the next. 155,000 people die every day. That's 6,458 an hour. That's 107 a minute. That's 1.8 people per second. Do the math. By the time you sit down and watch a two-hour film or a two-hour movie, 12,916 people would have perished in this world today. Everyone will go to one or two places. There's no middle ground. There's no getting them out. It's done and it's dusted. Jesus Christ said in John chapter 3, verse 16, right after he says the most famous quote, John 3, 16, he says, For God sent not his Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the knowledge of the glory of the grace of God. So what moves you tonight in the life that you're living? What moves you to want to please God? What moves you to know, to know for an absolute fact that by some tragedy, you breathe your last breath here in this world today of where you're going to go? Let me ask you another question and we'll be done. What drives you? I mean, I asked you what moved you, what shakes your foundation, what drives you to get up and, and live life? What's your determining factor of whether you cave in the heartaches, the hardships and the hidden things? Or what would drive you to finish your course of joy, to finish your ministry? As Paul said, which I received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. These questions are in the air. They're in your mind. They're in your heart. And I want to encourage you tonight. You have to answer them. What's going to move you? What heartache's going to come in your life that's going to move you and say, you know what, I'm done with all this? What hardships is going to come your way, dear where You know what, man, this, I don't even believe this. What hidden thing jumps out from behind the, the corner, the wall, that shakes your very foundation to the core? I made this statement before, and I'll make it now. If every person on the face of this planet quit attending church and quit believing the Bible, I'm going to stand on that word of God as my sole authority for faith and practice for multiple reasons. At my age now, at 51 years old, and I've been preaching for 25 plus years, pastoring for 20, was in business for 20 years, that book's proven. It's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. I've lived it, I've walked it, and it's proven it's weighted in gold. It's proven it's weighted in eternity. So if everyone forsakes him, the Apostle Paul said this, as a matter of fact. He says, in my first answer, no man stood with me, but all forsook me. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me. That's my position tonight. And that's my position on being moved. And that's my position on being driven. And my prayer and my encouragement to each and every one of you tonight, that it may be the same.
Will you bow your heads this evening? Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity again to have church this evening. We thank you for every soul that is here tonight. Pray, dear God, that you would bless in a mighty way. Touch our hearts, our lives. Be with us tonight, I ask. I pray that you take your message, Lord, right upon the table of everyone's heart. We want to give you glory, honor, and praise. And I want to thank you publicly, Father, for sending their only begotten Son, that I may believe in him, that I may would have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and have the forgiveness of my sins, which are many. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. All right, I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching